well, one of the girls from the sister dorm just walks up and just starts to like yell at me. Like, how can you support Barack Obama? You're this abortion lover and like, you can't be a real Christian and I would never be friends with someone like you. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And today we're joined by Josh White. Thanks for being here, Josh. Thanks for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I think that you guys do a really good job uh, at this. So I'm stoked. <laughs> Thanks. I'm actually really glad you listened. I like always send it to people when we're <laughs> talking. I'm like, you can check it out if you want to like see what we're doing before you sign on to even having a conversation with us, because this might be your worst nightmare after listening to a couple of them. So. This is definitely um, awkward, like prompting people to listen to it. Like, <laughs> hey, I, I think you might look. Could you just tell me like what you think? Uh, <laughs> like such a douche. I know. <laughs> having it, like expecting anyone to give you a genuine response is always. Uh, I'm not the one who would send it like anything out to somebody for like real criticism unless I was like close <laughs> to them because you know you're just going to get someone being like it's it's good. Yeah, I like oh, it. Oh, yeah. No, always. That's, yeah. <laughs> Sam's, <laughs> so, Sam's one of those participation trophy parents anyways. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, uh, for the listeners, we met uh, in college. Um, my fresh uh, sophomore year on at Liberty University, you were in a neighboring dorm of mine. Um, and throughout college, we kind of just had um, – our, our lives were a little bit intertwined with, between – mutual friends and and certain groups that we participated in um throughout my time at liberty um you know we would just have the occasional run-ins and conversations or um get-togethers based on which one of our mutual friends was putting together a get-together so um just uh I think really we just want to get started with um kind of learn about you and, and your life and where kind of what brought you to Liberty. So um, if you want to just go ahead and any, really anywhere uh, with as much a little detail as you want, but where you, where you grew up, what type of like religious community you grew up in um, and, and uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Great. Uh, so I, I grew up in uh, Hampton Roads area in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia beach, Virginia. Um, uh, most okay. of my life. I, I moved to Virginia when I was nine years old. Okay. With my mom, she was in the military um, she was also uh, very religious. Uh, I can't really remember. Uh, like my first memories that I have are like all church related. Um, yeah. yeah, my mom was a minister. And uh, when we moved to uh, Virginia, the um, was it the, the church that we were going to, the pastor of that church became um, somewhat of a father. Uh, actually, I still call him dad. Uh, really like prominent role in my life, um, mentorship role. And, um, you know, so most of my life, like I was just always like in church, whether like every single day of the week I was in church, you know, Monday I was cleaning up the church, Tuesday there was Bible study, Wednesday there was like praise team rehearsal, Thursday dance rehearsal, Friday like night prayer, (laughs) Saturday, like there was always something, always some revival and um, as a kid, I, you know, really appreciated that. And I still do really, like, appreciate a lot mm-hmm. of 
um, like what I learned in that season of my life. And um, yeah, I, I very like charismatic environment, very like intense uh, environment. Um, so I started thinking about some colleges that I was going to go to when I was 18 years old. And, you know, I grew up in a very uh, like, um, like inner city community, very okay. uh, like poor, a lot of, uh, you know, poverty and violence and crime and gangs. And so my thought was I wanted to go as far away as possible. I applied <laughs> to Hawaii Pacific University. That was where I was planning on going, never planning on coming back. My goal was really just to make it out alive, like from my, like, where I was going to high school and just to never look back when I left. Um, but my wow, parents, so it was like legit dangerous. Then, huh? oh, oh my gosh. I mean, I could tell you some stories. I mean, kids would, uh, bury their guns in my uh, like school um, like courtyard so they what? could get through the metal detectors and then they'd come back out and get their guns like it was uh, oh my god definitely like uh, a place where I was like if I can just make it out alive like I I will be able to start my life like that that was my goal wow uh, so what is like and that I'm assuming that's high school I mean maybe middle schoolers had guns too but um, yeah, definitely high school. <laughs> I, that's, I don't know. Would you see like little dirt mounds all over the schoolyard? <laughs> no, they're usually, either we, got, either we got moles or everybody's armed today. They, they would actually, um, bury their guns under like the, the bushes, uh, yeah. the courtyard. And yeah, I mean, so I, like, it was just a violent, like, a, a lot of violence, um, and not really like a safe place, but I also, it was like, like a bit of the norm. I mean, people were not getting shot like regularly. I, I honestly can't remember a single time that anyone got shot. It was just like, that was the culture yeah. of like violence. People need, felt the need to like be protected and, and feel safe. And yeah, yeah. You know, there were a lot of gangs and I mean, there was, uh, you know, fights every day. I just tried my best to avoid, you know, um, you know, crossing the wrong person. But what do you think it was that kept you um, kind of from feeling the need to, I don't know, move in that direction or, or I don't know, whatever it is, do take those type of measures to feel safe or um, do you think that had anything to do with your involvement with church? Was it your, your mom or your, um, the, your person you referred to was kind of like a father figure who, what kind what do you think kind of helped you from going in that direction? Absolutely. It was definitely my like faith, my like, you know, Christian community, you know, every single day since I was a little kid, my mom would make me leave before I left the house. She'd ask me, like, what does the Bible say? And I'd have to say, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, <laughs> you know, I, which was really freaking annoying, by the way. <laughs> uh, but it, it did really instill this, like, sense that, like, everything that I needed to be successful, to get where I wanted to go, to be happy in life, like, mm -hmm. was already, like, inside of me. And, uh, like, everything I, I needed uh, to, you know, get out of like the situation that I was in, it was like, you know, already inside of me. And so I never felt the need to rely on a lot of those extrinsic like forces. And, you know, yeah, you're in church all the single, every single day. Like I also just didn't have time. Like I did not have time to be with these people <laughs> because if you were not a part of this, like, you know, um, like religious community that I was in, I just, I was like, literally, I would leave church at like 2 a.m. in the morning, like a, a lot. No. Of like it was just absolutely consumed my life. So 
Yeah. Wow. Did you have uh, did you have like a good group of friends at school too, or was it? Did you just kind of feel like that was a you were just out of place in that environment? Um, well, I definitely felt out of place. I, I was very poor. Like me and my mom were homeless off and on most of my life, and yeah. you know I, I wore the same clothes like all the time. I so the way that I kind of coped with inner like you know a lot of my insecurities was just to. You know, I was like a very class clown, like oriented, like student. <laughs> I would always like joke. I try to be friendly and like fun and nice to everyone. And so I didn't have any like deep connections or deep relationships, but I generally felt like I was liked by a lot of people. I was, I played like varsity soccer and, you know, I, I wrestled for a little bit and okay. I was just kind of like the happy, fun, go lucky guy. And if I could just get through a day without someone like joking the fact that I, stapled a hole in like one of my jeans that was a good day (laughs) i think dude it's funny you say i mean i i doubt it was it was probably just more of an ingrained personality trait at that point but um even the way you just described yourself is kind of how i in ways that i think of you from from college (laughs) like i mean people who you were just a smile like you seemed like you were always smiling like people were really generally like i think drawn to you and your personality and i think that I don't know, maybe that's something that you just, that became part of you, or I don't know if that felt like something that you felt like you were still coping with anything in college, but it never came off like that to me, but that seems like something that became, or maybe always has been uh, just part of your personality, that it's kind of, it's bright and and attractive to people. Well, you know, I really appreciate that, and I think that's something that I tried to take away from a lot of those childhood experiences was how... Um, how good it feels to like add a sense of like value and worth to someone yeah. else's life. And so it kind of transitioned from being, you know, a manifestation of my like insecurity or, or a coping mechanism and evolved more into just a, a genuine desire to like make other people feel like loved and important and valuable. And, you know, that's the kind of person that when I mm-hmm. like finally got to college, I determined I want to be that person. I want to be someone that adds, um, you know, that kind of like love and joy to people's lives. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I what so when you, I know you mentioned kind of go to looking at Hawaii for college. Uh, you mentioned like one of the things that sticks out to me is you being part of like a you know, a charismatic religious community. I mean, some of the things that you said really don't strike me as a type of catalysts for going to Liberty University, like your mom being <laughs> a minister and yeah. a charismatic place. Like, and so what, what, um, I guess what drew you I, to, to Liberty? Uh, and, and then I definitely want to get into what your experience was like at a Southern Baptist college <laughs> where people were not like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, I like a lot of the people that I met at Liberty University, uh, decided to go there because we were hoodwinked. We were tricked. Uh, I, I went to a college for a weekend and, you know, there were jump houses and candy everywhere and free food at the rot. And, you know, everyone was so freaking nice. Like, holy cow, people were so friendly. Like, when CFA starts, that, like, friendly 
cult serum <laughs> starts to just infect people and they love so well. Holy yeah. cow. I was like, man, I would love going here. I'll make so many friends. This place seems so much fun. Everyone was just so great. And it, you know, I wasn't really looking to go to a Christian school, but that doesn't hurt. I'm a Christian and like these Christians seem like fun people and we can all have a great time together. So yeah, you know, Seafall is really like, you know, it is a deceiving experience. And yeah. I, I bought in, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I thought, Yes, yes to Liberty. That's because Kool-Aid was all you were allowed to drink at Liberty University. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that and water, maybe. maybe but, uh, dude, I think that's so I, – I attended a college for a weekend, too, and that was when I was uh, – I, I, it's possible that I didn't go there because of that, but I, I remember going for college for a weekend and, and being around, like, really cool people in the dorms and stuff. And I once I was at college, I remember having some college for weekenders and – I I don't know. I don't think I was particularly cool to them or the kind of person that would have made them want to go to Liberty afterwards. And one of them stole my fucking sweatshirt, and that made me really angry. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I think there was, like, some sort of weird, like, comfort to Liberty when you were that age. Like, there was something about it that just felt familiar, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why I ended up – because I had no ties to that place other than I had gone there on a class trip, like, several years before – but for some reason that just stuck out in my head is like, well, Liberty's a really fun place and you know, <laughs> a little more uh, normal by my standards. Yeah. I mean, for me going into it, I was like, this is everything that I'm looking for. Uh, theologically speak. Cause I was, I got a, I was, I got a Bible degree from there. I don't know if that's, if you knew that Josh, but um, it's like that for me, when I was leaving my non-denominational church, like, which was basically similar non-denominational churches are at least maybe in this area, maybe everywhere else. They're basically Southern Baptist churches in disguise. Mm -hmm. And so that there was a comfort for me going there. And I was like, the funny thing is about uh, getting a Bible degree. You're like, at that age, I'm trying to choose a place that's going to like have quote unquote sound biblical doctrines and things like that. And all that you're really fishing for is I need someone to reinforce my beliefs that I already have. And anything that says something differently is not okay. And it's, so then you just pick the college. that's going to just tell you everything that you already want to hear, which I find to what should be the, I don't know, I guess that should be the opposite of what you're looking for when you want an education. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but what, um, so you, you did the CFA thing and that seemed like a neat place to go. There nothing about it. Like, you, you didn't really have much of a familiarity with its theology or kind of what they were about at the time? No, I had no idea. The first time that I had ever looked at the Liberty Way was like orientation week. I had <laughs> absolutely like no idea that these people were like theologically and philosophically so opposed to everything I was and everything that I was becoming. And so, yeah, I really <laughs> went in blind. <laughs> That's so wild. But you stayed. You didn't. Uh... I did. Well, you know, this is how Liberty gets you. You your first year, you take a couple of biblical worldview classes, some theology classes, Bible classes, evangelism classes, you know, creationism, all of these classes that like would never transfer to like an accredited, <laughs> like an incredible institution. So then you're in between this place of like, Am I going to spend five years in undergrad or am I going to like spend four years in undergrad? And yep. 
So, yeah, I decided to stay. And I did find um, a community of friends that I felt like, you know, these are people that I want to kind of do life with, despite the fact that, like, you know, it's interesting. I, when I describe my experience at Liberty, I kind of feel like I was, like, one of the most loved people on campus. But yeah. I was definitely one of the most hated people on campus. And so it was just, um, you know, I tried to go with the, the people that w- who were for me and decided to stick it out. Wait, so break that down a little bit more because that sounds interesting. When you say you felt like you're the most loved person, but you were definitely the most hated. Do you think uh, your beliefs in in your uh, being like maybe vocal about them were rubbed people the wrong way? Is that what you're getting at? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, so I was hardcore charismatic. And so, I mean, people would come into my room and they would look at like literature and they would think like, oh my gosh, this guy's an apostate. Like he's an yeah. Christian. Like these aren't good beliefs. You know, he believes in like all of these like spiritual like things and we don't. And, you know, so like every day was an argument, not to mention um, when I started going to Liberty, there was this really cool guy who was kind of becoming like very well known and and political and pop culture. Uh, you might recognize his uh, name, uh, Barack Obama. Okay. And I was a huge freaking fan. And I knew like at the time, like I was like, I am a Christian and I am here. And I realized that like voting for Democrats isn't a really Christian thing, but I do know I freaking love Barack Obama. And, you know, so, I mean, I, golly, there was one day that I was uh, eating at the, our dining hall, uh, famously the rocks and yeah. you know i was like eating um like dinner or lunch with my sister dorm after like a, a campus church and everyone's having a good time great day i'm like hanging out with all these people who seem like they really like me great day and out of nowhere well, one of the girls from the sister dorm just walks up gets a, a crate like a milk crate slams it on the floor and stands on it and just starts to like yell at me, like in what? front of the entire rock. Like, how can you support Barack Obama? You're this like, you know, uh, abortion lover, and like you can't be a real Christian. And I would never be friends with someone like you. And I'm like, holy freaking cow! I mean, that was like one of the first experiences that I had, kind of feeling like, you know, whole I am an other here. Like I am someone that like really attracts a lot of disdain. Wow. Dude, that is well, Yeah. I mean, it's funny, man. When I, it, it, it was people like you, like meeting you and, and some of the people that you had connected with that um, were kind of some of the first to uh, introduce me to a different way of being Christian. Um, that, that's this, this group of people, because, you know, there, it was, it was a charismatic bent and I, I didn't have a charismatic bone in my body at the time. And, um, even knowing that I had like, friend, like, and it, it was actually just knowing you guys and seeing, um, seeing people just be great people and, 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 and do things differently or have different reasonings for the way they would vote that I, cause I hadn't even been injured. I remember as a kid asking my mom, like uh, if Christians could be Democrats it, because of the type of home I grew up in. She, it was very oh, like, yeah. and she was fine about it. She was like, yeah, like we have some friends that are and like, but we don't really get like, is she, my mom has always been, um, I, I picked up on what I was picking up on through like maybe just like Fox news and church and stuff. Like um, my dad talked a little bit more about 
political stuff than my mom, but my mom always was like generous and kind about uh, allowing for people to kind of believe different things. But I still knew where my place was and that's why Liberty felt comfortable to me. And then being introduced to something different um, and not only introduced to it and then being okay with it, but finding myself being pulled in that direction was a very strange experience for me. And I, I, I think it's so, I, I like that I found that at Liberty because I, I probably could have just gone, you know, I, I, I always wonder how like things would have ended up for me if I went to like a different college and just kind of stuck with my traditional beliefs and wasn't exposed to different ways of being Christian. I just wouldn't be around Christianity much at all outside of the bubble that I had already been a part of. And yeah. it's weird to, to kind of owe Liberty for like that aspect of my trajectory um, or that, that point in my trajectory simply because, uh, I met people who were just like different and, and great and honestly probably more, like more representative and more, not even just representative, but more in love with um, the, the idea of like being like Jesus or, or being kind and caring and creating a better world and like all this stuff. I was like, wait, I, I've never really heard people talk like this before. And that was like uh, really like, I, I don't know where I would have been without that. So I, I, I think it's, that group yeah, that you were part of and that some of the friends you had that I had met and even you, it's just like, that was a really like important thing for me in college, even though I bet and you and none of the people who I met at that point really understand like the influence that they had on me. Yeah, no, that's, uh, absolutely. Oh, I'm sorry. What, what were some of the other things that, that kind of made you feel like an outsider in that on campus? Yeah. So, um, you know, there were definitely these, I think, there were these moments where I just realized, like, I don't want to be anything like these people. You know, like, I, I know that we're Christian, and this is why I'm here, and this is what makes me relatable, and this is what makes me fit in here. Um, there are a lot of, like, identities that I have that, like, don't make me fit in here, like the fact that I'm, you know, a black man, the fact yeah. that I'm very, like, politically progressive, um, uh, but like being Christian is what really connects me to this community. And, you know, there were these moments where I realized like, holy cow, like if this is what Christian means, like I don't even want to be that. Yeah. Um, there was this, uh, so my freshman year of, um, of school, of undergrad at, at Liberty, I was hearing about this like protest that was happening on campus. There was this um, LGBT uh, affirming like Christian group called Soul Force that I guess comes. Oh to my Liberty. god, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had come to Liberty for a couple years in a row um, and protested a lot of the school's like anti-LGBT policies. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, you know, uh, grown up in a community that was very like you know anti-LGBT, very homophobic, very like that is sinful. Yeah. And my whole life, like that had. Uh, felt very off to me um, and in part because like especially as a kid I was like very curious about my sexuality and like uncertain about it and okay. so you know it was all, always something that I felt like I wasn't completely on board with like gay people go to hell because I yeah. felt like I'm a good person and I feel really connected to my faith and I don't think I'm going, so this can't be true. <laughs> um, but I was, um, yeah, I, I was really curious to kind of like 
meet these people because I didn't know what I believed. I was just like kind of emerging into like my thoughts on what it meant to be like, you know, a gay person and if that was okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I go to the protest. Um, I like with some cookies and I'm like, I want to kind of like, you know, be nice to these people, get to know them, hear their story and try to figure out like what my thoughts on this are. And I had actually like a couple of friends from my dorm, uh, dorm 10 decided to join me. Not because I think they were like in the same thinking as me, but I feel like they were just really curious as to what I was like planning to accomplish. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so was I, to be honest. Uh, so I get to the protest and it's happening like right outside of like where the football stadium is. They're trying to stay kind of off campus. Cause like, well, I guess the last time they'd all gotten arrested cause they came on campus. <laughs> oh yeah. Was, like Jerry Fallout put out a statement. Like if they come on campus, like they will be arrested. And yeah, that, they like pulling that card from time to time. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> and um, I get there and I am late. Like there are already a lot of other Liberty students and faculty who are just shouting down this group of what I think around 11 or 12 like young adults. I think these like protesters are all like, like probably between the ages of 18 and, and 24. I mean, wow. and some of these uh, people are, a lot of them are just like gay, lesbian. Um, some of them are trans, which I was just so fascinated by because I'd never actually met or talked to a trans person. And, yeah. um, you know, I was just trying to talk to them, but I, I could not. I could not over all of the, like, just, you know, homophobic slurs, um, which Dude. I will, will not say on this uh, recordings. I don't know how y'all do. But, I mean, some of the, like, most grotesque things that you can imagine. It was, like, Westboro, like, Baptist, like, style insults. That's that so I was, wild. Like, I know. I just could not imagine and i i don't think that i really associate liberty with that intense of like uh a type of intensity of homophobia but like i don't think that liberty is a great place and the kind of people that showed up were like the worst right of like not a great place yeah yeah <laughs> were like showing up to kind of like bash these kids and so i had gotten the numbers of one of the guys and you know we had decided to meet up at uh starbucks the next day and they were going to be heading out that day. And they're like, well, you can have breakfast with us and we can chat for, you know, 30, 45 minutes before we head out. And That's I showed cool. up. Yeah. I showed up with those same two friends from my um, dorm and we ended up chatting for eight hours. I mean, we got to oh, start wow. open and we were there until almost it closed. And <laughs> like, I got to hear literally every single one of these persons, like individual stories, why they believed what, what they believed. <laughs> how they identify as Christian, why they wow. think they're like, like their lifestyles are okay. And I left that meeting with a lot more questions and like a lot, feeling a lot less a part of, you know, um, the Liberty community. And I really like, and I'm still really good friends with a couple of those um, protesters. And I, I really still like credit them a lot for you know, some of the growth that I've had in my life and for helping me, and like wanting and having an interest in teaching me. Um, and yeah. Dude, that's an incredible story. That's really a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah, I really like, um, def- like, and that's, I think, one of the things I really appreciated about going to Liberty, you know, being at a place that's so terrible really gives <laughs> a lot of opportunity for some really like profound moments. Uh, like I know. That. 
Dude, if you could put a reel together of all the um, all the people who were changed, uh, who were like converted out of the liberty type of way of living, uh, yeah. or I should say thinking, um, mm-hmm. is uh, based just because they went there, oh, it would probably make them so upset and disappointed. <laughs> It'd be wonderful. Um, so, what did you? What were you studying when you were at Liberty? Um, so I double majored in like international business and economics. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I've been able to trick uh, several employers into thinking that that ac- academic experience <laughs> was worth much uh, because it really wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling. Of, oh, dude, your degree means a little bit more than mine. Trying to convince <laughs> someone that they should hire you with a Liberty University Bible degree is a really painful experience. But also maybe not. Like I feel like Liberty is more capable of like instructing someone on their like religious views than they are on um, secular views. I mean, I remember going into one of my math classes and my professor like opens up the class, you know, by saying like this hell, this country is going to hell in a handbasket because Obama had just gotten elected. Oh my God. And we spent like the first half of the class, like praying against immorality, a math class. So I just, <laughs> Yeah, I just not a great degree. I don't think I learned a lot, to be honest. And you know, but that dude, it's funny because with uh, with my degree, I look back on it and I'm like, I mean, I took classes on like I took their theology classes. There, obviously, everyone did creationism. Like the fact that that's a collegiate level class, it's a requirement for graduation, <laughs> is ridiculous. But I just like I look back on every single Bible class I had, and all the way down to like about the books of the Bible or how, or how to even read the Bible. And I don't agree with a single thing I learned in any of them. How much of a waste. Isn't that crazy? Like that, even that you can really still like, for me, I still like have an investment in the Bible uh, to the point that I I like to learn about it and, and reflect on it in ways um, that I think are different than how I, how they were when I was at Liberty. But I'm like, the fact that I can still, that there's that many ways to look at it, but I spent 20 grand a year or whatever it was to be told one way and have it be told as the only way to do this. And then you're like, oh, everything I learned was just an opinion. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, (laughs) absolutely wild. And one opinion is that a lot of times they don't even really like understand or agree. And um, yeah, it's, (laughs) uh, yeah. So uh, I'm happy that there's been some changes at the school and hopefully they can kind of find uh, yeah. some, you know, uh, better ways of instructing. I, I remember, I think it was like my first two years at Liberty, I was randomly selected to participate in this, like um, this state or not state. It was like an accreditation um, assessment or like audit where they like picked out and hand selected students to take these exams to basically determine whether or not like we should be accredited. And like, I remember like being told like, Oh, this is normal. Like, you know, don't feel pressured, but also don't (laughs) fuck up. Um, (laughs) And, you know, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting academic experience for sure. Did you feel like going from your community, like your high school community and your religious community and the type of upbringing you had, like religious upbringing you had to um, go like, 
I mean, Southern, we can, I even, I want to jump in this a little bit more when we get in, like, at, when I want to move on to what you're doing now a little bit, but um, at Liberty as a black man, did you, and, and Southern Baptist being such a white theology, um, yeah. is that something you were really familiar with before or um, with Southern Baptist theology and, and I mean, its origins and its development and uh, even the way that they would look down on um I mean, really, it, it looks down on things like black liberation theology and all, anything really related to the black church as a whole. It feels like um, they would deem some version of heretical, uh, which should show you that <laughs> there's obviously a problem there. But I don't know if any of that really seeped into your your time at Liberty or how much that I imagine it, you, it wasn't something that was went completely unnoticed. But I, I don't know, yeah. whatever, whatever capacity you want to speak to that, I'd love to hear yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, I had no idea. No idea at all. Um, I started to look, like, as I found things were very concerning, especially with, like, the differences in theology, and, like, not even really, like, just the differences, because there were so many, like, cultural and, like, theological and political um, and cultural differences. Like, I was in, like, almost every regard and other at Liberty. Mm -hmm. That didn't really bother me or even concern me what I found like so concerning was just the hostility um, okay. that like was so pervasive. Like if you did not agree, if you didn't jump on like the group think bandwagon, you were kind of really an enemy of the people. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I found that very concerning and I, I started to look into some of the origins of Liberty um, Jerry Falwell of Southern, how Southern Baptists were formed. Right. And yeah, I was, I was very freaking concerned. And like, again, I'm not super concerned and wasn't that concerned with how things were started. Like, yes, Jerry Falwell had some really terrible beliefs most of his life. They were worse the earlier, the yeah. farther you go back, the worse they are. The same with the like Southern Baptist church. But I also feel that. You know, I don't have the privilege of disassociating myself from like things that had crappy origins. You know, like yeah, yeah. this country has crappy origins. Like every like institutional structure in this country has some terrible like beginnings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's the fact that they were still perpetuating a lot. Like it didn't seem like they really emerged too far from like those origins that I found like really mm-hmm. bothersome. I did find that, like, you know, a lot of the, uh, there was a lot of, like, racism that was very um, overt that I just found really, like, shocking. You um, found that at Liberty, that there was a lot of overt racism, is what oh, you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would be, I would have been so blind to that. Like, I, dude, I don't know. I, we don't need to, I, I don't want to make, I, go ahead, Casey. I, go, I, I, want you I think that, uh. I feel like we, I feel like we, I was, and most of us were totally blind to that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much you want to get into some of that, but do you have some like specific examples of times where you really felt uh, that hostility in a, in a racial sense? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I did feel that one, especially having a lot of the like political, like, views that I had mm-hmm. that they were like very like the objections to my views were very 
you know, race-based. And you heard a lot of the, you know, um, black people vote this way because of this. Like yeah, they yeah, yeah. handouts. They, they don't work hard. Um, you know, I had a lot of the like weird conversations with friends who would like take me back home to their parents and, you know, oh, come back to our cabin or come back to my family's having this thing. I want you to meet my parents. And did not realizing that like for them, this was this really fun, like cultural exploration, almost this intellectual exercise to like do life with a black person. And then you get to their home and it's like, oh, by the way, my grandma's really racist or like, you know, get out. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so serious. But, you know, you get like you get to someone's house and it's like, dang, like I didn't even know that like there were these this many like Confederate flags. Like, you oh. know, and it was just like I never had an issue with Confederate flags until I got to Liberty because it was just like, dang, like the way that people worship this symbol is so weird to me. Um I remember um waking up one night in my room, which is my freshman year, and like I guess some guys in the dorm had watched this movie. I think it was like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And there's this like KKK scene in the oh, movie. Yeah. And they thought it'd be really funny to like shake my bed at 3 a.m. in the morning wearing like a bunch of white sheets. And I just remember waking up and thinking like, you know, I was just confused. And like, this is weird, you know, like, <laughs> that people think this is okay. And when you are a minority you're constantly like gaslit because you don't know like if you're overreacting or if something is actually wrong. And I didn't have like a major black community where I could like kind of, you know, um, decompress and like, you know, work through some of this trauma with. So a lot yeah. of times I didn't know, like, am I like hypersensitive or is this just really fucked up? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It's like, I'm going to do a little, it's a little confession ish, I guess. And it's going to feel a little weird to say, but dude, and when you're young, uh, I was, I had no, I had no black friends as a kid. I was like whitey McWhitebread in a white bread town. And it was like, we had one black guy at our church and go figure. He did the, the great singing. Like everyone, <laughs> he was very, it was very token. And, you know, I, looking back on it, I can see that now. Um, and before you're, I don't know, it's almost like you're excited that there's a black person in your church because it makes you feel like you're a good place for them too. And again, intentionally using like that othering language. Um, but I'm like there, there, when you're like, people like me and when you're young and you go to Liberty and you're around like, that's like, Oh, this is like my first time really being around black people and thinking like, like there's you almost feel like the more you can uh, overtly address it or make jokes like that the le the less racist you are and it's not until like you grow a little bit that you realize that's a really idiotic way to look at things <laughs> like yeah no it's like we're like uh sam I've, i'm sure you probably remember this but like groups of of kids would be like oh we're going to a black church this weekend <laughs> And yeah. they would make like a huge deal out of it, like it was some sort of a field trip or something like that. And I thought, I mean, even at the even at the time, I was like, that just seems weird. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know. Yeah, that like reminds me of. I'm sure you guys remember this, but we had our like campus service uh, requirements where we basically yeah. had to like, do community service. I think it was like 20 hours a semester, and. Um, one of the, like the community service, uh, like activity that I did was going to this like very, like, um, 
like lower income community where we would like play with the kids and spend time. Oh, with I think them. I did that one too. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it because I like went there and thought like, oh, these kids remind me of me. Like this is the kind of community I grew up in and I'm just yep. so happy to like kind of be around them. And I mean, it was just not like a great, it was not always a great experience for everyone because people do feel really uncomfortable looking at like the like uh, outcome of poverty and classism and racism in this country. And they don't yeah. really always know how to like process that well. Yeah. And, but uh, basically after we would have these events, people would always get to like take a kid with them back to campus and bring them to the rot, let them eat. And oh, yeah. I just, yeah, I always like was so bothered like by the like white savior rhythm of it all because it never felt super genuine it was like you know this is really like giving me like white savior vibes and i would always there was like a couple of white kids in this like neighborhood no one would ever take the white kids back to campus like ever and like (laughs) and to me it just kind of felt like wow you just really like the feeling like you would never want someone to think that you were hanging out with your little brother like you know you want people to know like you are like, you know, saving this like black child and like bringing them into like all of the like, you know, splendor of whiteness and that you have saved them by giving them like proximity to like your privilege. And, you know, but there's no real like commitment to this child. There's no real commitment to this community. And like yeah. once like your 20 hours is up, like you hope to never see this child again. I know. And, that's so weird yeah. for the kids. So you like connect with people and then, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like when uh, white people go on um, short-term mission trips, and for the next six months, all their profile pictures are them with like a little black kid. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so it's so bothersome, and it's like I love I love that you have a passion for this community. Like this community needs help and needs support, but like it would be so like cool to see someone go like and only take pictures of like the people who actually live in this community yeah. and actually like are the ones that you're supporting their work, you know, and the people who are going to be there when you leave. Like, yeah, it's yeah. so awesome if, like, the spotlight, like, was on on them. And, like, you know, I really, like, honestly have, you know, and this is, like, somewhat of a tangent, but, like, you know, the way that missions is so glorified at Liberty, like, I found so troublesome because it's, like, man, these kids will raise $5,000 to go to Africa for two weeks. Yeah. And it's like, dang, like, do you realize how far that money could go if you just stayed here, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, and we had a yeah. cooking on this exact subject. <laughs> we were just talking about this last night. But yeah, yeah everything you just said is like, it, it's so true of that of that community, you know? And, and I took part in it, yeah. you know? I mean, it, it, it didn't occur to me at the time like how silly and ridiculous it was. Mm-hmm. You're just looking for, I mean, and to some degree when you're in, at that point in your life, you're looking for, I guess you're looking for an adventure and it's easier to have other people pay for it and do it under the name of Christ and knowing that people will just throw money at you to go there. Um, well, and I think like what's missing there is some like, some, you know, thoughtful guidance from from the leadership around you you know like the people who are leading that group should look at a 14 year old and say hey this is not a good way to spend five thousand dollars like if you want to help go get a job and work and and send the proceeds there to make use of you know to like don't spend five thousand dollars on a photo op 
yeah. so that you can get out of town for a few weeks this summer. <laughs> yeah. No, ab- absolutely. And it is this kind of like, I think, colonizing mentality if that is so problematic at Liberty, but also like really in the white church is that like mm-hmm. we have something that like is so good and so much better. And like, it's our responsibility to like, you know, basically, you know, proselytize the world and yeah. especially like all of the, the others. And, you know, it's, it's a really like interesting theology, especially when we think about like how, like we look at foreigners, you know, in, in our country at how we despise them and how we feel like they're not like worthy to like be amongst us, but like, we will literally like pay someone to like, while voting for someone who says like, we got to get rid of all the immigrants and we got to like, build a giant wall to make sure none of them get over here. We're going to like, at the same time that, that we're voting for this person, we're going to pay someone to like sneak into a country under the guise of like, you know, Oh, we're just tourists. And yeah. we're going to like, like pay them to break the law in this other country and like spread the gospel. And, you know, while like if any like one from that country illegally tries to come here and get access to the gospel, like we would, you know, shut our doors to them and we would do everything that we could to deport them. It's just that colonizing like mentality that, you know, is so like pervasive at Liberty, but also just really like, you know, problematic and confronting that being like observing that, like all, like always, like never felt good to me, but definitely like I've like grown. It's like only felt like a lot more problematic. Yeah. It feels like, and I definitely want to go down this road and if we, kind of just go off on this that's fine but um if not we can get i want to get back to it but it feels like so uh growing up very evangelical it was that was that where it didn't have the negative connotation that it does now and i mean even if whatever the connotation is now um 10 15 years ago i would have probably 10 years ago i still would have considered myself one even with this and thought i can change it from the inside before i was disillusioned and didn't believe hardly any of any of it anymore really but i i think what's interesting is i always refer to it um as evangelicalism uh as a whole and i'm trying to do better at even just referring to it the talking about it as really what it is which is white evangelicalism because it's just like obviously the black evangelical community is, is doing things a lot differently when it comes to the way they vote or the things that they're focusing on. Um, but even if they're the, like you mentioned being like a, coming from a theologically conservative background, even though you were charismatic, but conservative in that, like, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about like the LGBTQ issues where yeah, it's like, yeah. that's that, like, biblically speaking, they're not really budget on that. And that's the background that I have too. So like, mm-hmm. I can see that and you can see a lot of theological overlap, but then when it comes to the way you conduct yourself in the world um, and the type of world you're building, you can see where white evangelicalism really has those racial blind spots. And I'm like, of course, like over the past five years, like since Trump started, I mean, it really started the first time he ran, but over the past five years, it's just been like, it's been under a microscope and trying to, trying to break that down like you have those conversations with like friends families like mostly family uh, at this point but it's just like it's weird to think of uh and then even seeing what liberty's been doing like the way that jerry jr had been responding to everything going on and the way that he's been doubling down on some really horrible things you're just not that he's 
there anymore anyway, but um, his legacy will leave a lasting impression for sure. But I just keep thinking about the way, like, even referring to evangelicalism, like, it feels that's starting to feel bad to me uh, in the way that, like, that is simply because uh, I operate on the assumption that the white evangelicalism was evangelicalism for so long. It's uh, trying to like kind of shake myself and, and, and understand like the kind of the nuances that's going on there has been, there's been obviously a lot happening over the past five years. And it's like, I think there are people who are, who are coming along uh, and really starting to do some of the work. And even Jill and I, uh, my wife, Jill have been having conversations about like, we're watching these white conservative churches, kind of reevaluate their concerns here um, when it's like, and those are the ones that I want to like be able to like show people who, who don't seem to be able to budge where it's like, look, people who think like you on just about everything are able to come to terms with the fact that there's a, like a, a lot of problems racially speaking within white evangelicalism. And it's kind of funny when you see like these like uptighty looking conservative churches, like, kind of really doing like some of the work to to point that out uh and then you see others who just really are they're almost getting like they're just i don't know if it's just like the combative persecution complex but it it feels like some of them are just getting worse Mm. no absolutely doubling down um anyway i i want to know what kind of brought you out of i'm glad we spent time on that and what kind of how things were for you at Liberty and got a bit more specific there, but I I do want to hear about where you like, so after that, did you go right into law school after, after Liberty? Was that kind of like, did did you have that uh, desire when you were at Liberty to pursue that as your next goal? So I did. I actually, I took my LSAT think back in like 2011, um, which is like the law school admissions test. And Mm -hmm. I got into law schools I really couldn't figure out how the heck I would afford it because, you know, you're not allowed to work your first year of law school oh, yeah. and um, your last two years, you just really shouldn't be working because you should be like interning and, and like building a resume so that you'll have a job um, when yeah. you graduate. So, um, yeah, I just could not figure out how the heck, like, you know, I would afford to like go to one of the most expensive kinds of schools and, um, you know, and not work at the same time. <laughs> so I decided to get my master's as well uh, instead. And I, I worked in business for a bit. But um, it was around, like, I think 2016, which is the, like, last, not the last, but uh, Trump's presidential um, election, yep. which I think came to a shock uh, to everyone, even those who voted for him. <laughs> and I um, started to feel like I, I wanted to make more of a difference in my community. Um, mm-hmm. So I had previously been working in like business um, consulting. I worked at um, a very prominent, um, you know, uh, IT firm and okay. moved on to, to work for another prominent IT firm here in California. And I decided that while I was working at these firms that I would like be very active in my community. So I got really connected with the um, activist community. I started doing some lobbying work. Uh, with some policy-based organizations and oh, wow. just yeah, I got really involved um, and I got to the point during the time of that election that I felt like I want what is kind of like a hobby for me to be more of a vocation. 
Yeah. And so I took the LSAT again because my last one had just expired. <laughs> and um, I got the same exact score, which is kind of interesting. And <laughs> I, you know, decided to, yeah, apply to uh, several colleges or law schools. And um, I decided to go to one right here in Sacramento. I got a full ride there, which is really exciting. Wow, good for you, man. Yeah, yeah, super uh, stoked. And I'm finishing up my last semester, which starts uh, tomorrow, actually. And <laughs> um, yeah, so right now I'm, I'm going to be going into criminal defense. Um, I work for the, um, or I'm interning for um, a federal public defender. So I get to represent clients who are charged with, um, you know, federal crimes. And, okay. you know, um, a lot of these people are facing like very punitive outcomes, you know, two years in prison, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. Yeah. And um, you see a lot of the disparity in how like people are treated based on their race and class. And, yeah. you know, I have clients who I'm like, you know, you're being charged uh, with this crime that I know this other person was charged with. And, but, you know, they're asking for jail time and like this huge fine for you. Whereas like the white guy who had the same criminal history as you just got his charges dismissed really easily. And there is this kind of disparity that you see in how the criminal justice system treats people of color. And so I'm super stoked to be a part of this community. And my plan is to be in New York City. Uh, in the summer where I will be taking the bar and, and working as a public defender there. Um, but I, I may take another offer. I have a couple of decisions I'm kind of mulling over right now. But super stoked to be where I'm at right now. That's really awesome, man. Good for you. That's a... Yeah, that's <laughs> not- I, uh, I imagine that it must be... Because like, obviously you knew the statistics going into this pretty probably pretty well about the um, the way that... I don't know, the way that people of color are disproportionately uh, mm-hmm. sentenced. Um, yeah. Has it been, um, has it been hard to, to be a firsthand witness to it uh, when you're really the one and, and then having the responsibility uh, on your shoulders of trying to do something about it? What's that been like for you? Absolutely. It's incredibly re-traumatizing. Um, you know, you like so off and it, it's incredibly gaslighting as well because you have people on the other side who are constantly telling you like oh well, we look at every case the same way like we didn't know yeah. this we don't know their the race we just get the paper and we make the charges and it's just like no like first of all before this case even gets to to the you know prosecutor's office you're dealing with the fact that like minority communities are disproportionately like patrolled you know if right. like you live in a, a country where uh, marijuana, for instance, you know, you're not more or less likely to smoke weed based on how much money you make, based on your academic uh, experience, based on your race, um, your class. It is one of the most like transcendent, like recreational drugs. Everyone yeah, yeah. does it equally, but you're, you know, 80% more likely to get arrested and charged with a drug crime um, if you're black. And that's because you don't have like cop cars, like patrolling through like, you know, Middletown suburbia, like you have them like going through like the inner city um, communities. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take an interest in making sure that we don't like make it our goal to treat people uh, the same, 
the same way. We don't see that in the criminal justice system, unfortunately. And it does kind of like remind me of a lot of like the triggering experiences I had at at Liberty, for instance, because it's like, well, like, you know, if you do the right thing, you don't have anything to worry about. Or like, why is it that, you know, people are like, even, you know, there shouldn't be any concern about injustice because if you just follow the law, you won't have any issues. But then like I get my clients and it's like, okay, so the kids who, you know, bring weed and cocaine to school in the rich neighborhoods and they get caught, their parents get called, they get suspended. No big deal. The kids at the rich school, inner city school, they're fighting in the hallway and the PE teacher breaks it up. Maybe someone gets suspended. Maybe they don't. And it's over. And the inner city school, you get caught fighting in the hallway. There's a resource officer who's right there. who's going to arrest you. who's going to take you to juvenile hall. You have a criminal record as a child and the impact it has on your ability to succeed and the effect it has on like your, you know, uh, trajectory is like highly detrimental. And yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's traumatizing to kind of relive these experiences through my clients, but it's also like a huge honor because I know that I have the ability to advocate for them in a way that maybe other people don't. I have the ability to normalize the experience of being a black man in front yeah. of the courts, in front of the prosecutor, you know, and, you know, the legal community is only 4% black, you know, it's only, uh, you know, oh, two, wow. 2% black men. And, you know, <laughs> I've heard a lot of, you know, you'll, if you talk to a black attorney, you'll hear a lot of stories about how when, when they show up to court, they get yelled at by the judge, like, where's your attorney? No, no, I'm the attorney, you know, like, what are you uh, doing here? Are you, you know, the, you know, court reporter, are you the, no, like, I'm, I'm the attorney. And so, you know, those are the kind of experiences that help us normalize the experience of being black in front of juries and and a court system. And, you know, I think that in a lot of ways I did that for, you know, my friends at Liberty, like normalize that experience that seemed to be a lot like um, obscure and helping them understand like some of their own like biases and uh, prejudices. And so just doing that in the criminal justice system. And, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. That's really cool, man. I love hearing that. I think that sounds like you're going to be able to do some really great stuff. If you, uh, I mean, if you end up in New York, um, I'm only uh, about two and a half hours away from there. I'll have to. Dude, we'll definitely connect. Meet up with you. Yes, 100%. <laughs> do you think that? So, I mean, you got a ground level perspective on a lot of those things. Is this like a? Is part of this problem just an old guard? Of, of people in charge that are just not going to change, you know, or basically waiting for them to die off? Or do you see those, uh, those attitudes and things like that perpetuating themselves in the, in the newer generation of people that are coming into that industry? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to ask. I, I used to subscribe to that latter thinking that, you know, we were just kind of waiting for the old guard to die off. Um, and till like very, these recent years where you see this like very, like this resurgence of like overt, like racism and hostility and prejudice in a very like young generation. Um, you know, you see like this, like, you know, pockets of like the proud boys, you got the neo-Nazis like rallying in Charlottesville, you got, you know, these people who are so like connected to hatred and like very young. Um, And my hope is that 
like it's not um, a, a microcosm of like who we are as a society, but a huge part of me kind of looks at it like this for us to live in a society that is equitable, where everyone has equal access to opportunity, where everyone is treated the same. A lot of people who benefit from not being an other have to willingly, purposefully, knowingly, intelligently relinquish their privilege. And not a lot of people want to relinquish their privilege. You know, a, a prosecutor yeah. might feel really good about letting the white guy, you know, dismiss their charges, let them go off scot-free after, like, prosecuting a few black kids. It's like, okay, I did my good in the world. I, I helped someone. I gave someone a second chance who deserves it. Um, and they deserve it because, like, they look like me or, like, I can relate to them. Or yeah. I, like, look at them and I can feel, like, a little bit more connected to their background. Um, and, you know, obviously we had a very interesting summer. We saw a lot of black squares on Instagram. We have yeah. a lot of people showing up to marches. Um, and I think it's easier. That movement was like easier to kind of spread because yeah. everyone's bored and nothing to do at home right now. But, <laughs> you know, I, part of me does think that it's a long like road ahead because, you know, people do, you know, Harvard put out a study a, a few years ago that said that if you are like a white man and you have a felony on your record, um, you have a 17% chance of getting a job you're qualified for. If you're a black man with no criminal history at all, you have a 7% chance of getting a job you're qualified for. Oh my God. You know, to get to a place that's equitable where everyone is treated the same, where everyone has equal opportunity uh, to succeed. A lot of people have to acknowledge the benefits uh, that they experience and reject them. And I don't know that, you know, we're really that altruistic of a society. Yeah. Um, so I, I do feel like it's a long, it's a long road ahead. It sounds like um, it, uh, just hearing you say all that, it really, it, you know, there are my more optimistic moments. I, it makes, I, I, it feels like when they look around and I see millennials who are talking about white privilege and things like that and thinking that because they've acknowledged it, they've eliminated it, um, is like where <laughs> that, that we're really far off from, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It feels just hearing what you're saying and, and realizing that like every single person making these decisions, whether it's hiring managers, whatever, they're going to be millennials soon and they might, they probably already are. And it sounds like these studies probably aren't going to be changing as much as, we would have hoped or would think um, with the, the amount of conversation that's being hap that's happening about white privilege and what it means to check it, because apparently um, that's not working out as well and it's not quite enough. Um, yeah. Something that I think kind of like really resonates with what I described is that, you know, you had some prominent, like, you know, Hollywood actors and actresses and Hollywood is like seen as being like, progressive the progressive cesspool of america yeah you know and you got all these like hollywood actors and actresses black squares and black lives matter and all of these things and you know these are the same people who are simultaneously you know paying like people to take their kids sats and like getting them into <laughs> like ivy league schools that they don't deserve to get into so it's like are people really letting go of their privilege um 
Mm, I know. I, I don't know. Uh, I hope so. I, and I, I, I think that that's the case for some people. I hope that it happens, you know, with more. And I guess, you know, only time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, when you, I mean, the number of issues that require things to make change, whether it's just like school, I mean, even starting with school districts and things like that, like it just is, it's it, it, sometimes it feels like the, I'm saying this, me saying this sounds ridiculous, uh, but uh, it, it, it sometimes it feels like, like the amount of uh, like bricks that have to like, get i don't know i whatever the, I'm, i lost my metaphor but the amount of things that need to get realigned to start moving in in the right direction like the, 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 the amount of nuance that there is to this subject it, which is like you know when i talk to certain maybe people in my family about why uh their pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality isn't isn't really a an accurate model by which you should view the world and then you have those conversations and like and you try to break it down over the past like 70, 100 years, 200 years, whatever, like even going back to like what redlining, not being illegal, not being made illegal till like the seventies or something like, and, and you deal with stuff like that. And like, by the, it's like, by the time you're done talking and they're just like, what did you just even say to me? Like the, the amount that has been like of our, the, the amount of our country that's been built on, on like racial disparities is like, and then looking at the way that it seems like, like white people are understanding them. Not that I'm an expert at all by any means. And I still have obviously a lot to learn. And I, 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 I don't know. I don't really know what to say there, but I just, it just feels like so much needs to be realigned from a systemic level. And I, um, and that obviously seeps into our political um, landscape and, and the types of people we elect. And I don't know when you look at, politically speaking like and and how to fix those things i don't i think that one of the things that's that's tough about that you know like and and you leave the people out of it that are just unwilling to to look at some of this stuff you know like the kind of changes and decisions that ultimately matter and make a difference in the trajectory of this society you know are not like these loud performative changes you know because those typically aren't costing people much of anything right like posting a black square or uh you know making a snide comment to someone on facebook that said something that you know that's it's racist or or borderline racist whatever like those things don't really do much to change the the trajectory of where we're going like the things that that change those are are you know, like, like you said, like, uh, am I going to use some unfair advantage that I have because of my status or something like that to get my kids into a school that they probably don't deserve to go to? You know, nobody's going to pat you on the back for like having your kids take their own SATs. <laughs> and it's not something you're going to advertise, you know, but like, that's a much more important choice than, you know, than posting a black square. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's easy to point at everybody else and 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 talk about why their actions don't matter, especially when it's Hollywood, because they're just easy targets for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just see I think that that's that's what's tough. like everybody's ultimately looking out for number one. And there's a lot of systemic things that benefit, number one, if you're a, a white person in this country. And you're right, like asking people to, to pay attention to those things and to give them up, especially when there's no like 
societal glorification that comes with it is is tough you know it's just it's hard to make that that case for people absolutely i think that's a huge point there's no incentive you know there's except for knowing that you're doing the right thing you know why would any you know i (laughs) there's an instance where you know there was a case where there were um you know uh, multiple guys who were um in possession of drugs and you know um all of them are charged with a drug crime and you know the case the cases against all of the guys get dropped except for one who ended up being uh black the other the, the kids who had gotten their uh charges dismissed were white and the one kid who the case continued against was black and you know what incentive Ugh like would there be for the white kids to say no we want our records to be just as muddied as this guy's yeah I know. You know, it's yeah it, so it's it's a hard place to be because i imagine that in those kids mind those white kids minds they probably think like we really love our friend you know we care about him he's in our community we play basketball with him we hang out with him he spends the night at our house we love this guy. We, we don't have any issue with the fact that he's black. We love everyone. But when faced with the opportunity to rectify, to correct the disadvantage that only affects him, like, would they really, um, you know, take the opportunity? And as a society, I think that it's unfortunate that people are too, like, married to the idea of, like, benefiting. And that is yeah. why, like, classism is so much fun. It isn't that like we like to see people starving. At least I hope, you know, yeah, yeah. maybe exchanges out there. But we really like the feeling of knowing we got more than someone else. We really like the feeling of knowing like um, we have access to something more. We have a, the nicer house, the nicer car, the, you know, something is better. And the idea of like normalizing the experience of humanity so that everyone has like what they need to survive. Um I don't really think there's a lot of incentive and it it makes me sad, but you know, there is going to take some cataclysmic event that forces us to, you know, be better. Um, And maybe that means that, you know, all of us will just have to keep procreating and like eventually everyone (laughs) will look the same. Um, I'm out. But even then, I wonder, like, what's going to be the new thing like that, you know, we use to, like, separate in other people? Because at the end of the day, people like being privileged in some way. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a really uh, God. You could we could really go down that rabbit hole. We don't have to. But it is interesting because you do look at anywhere in and actually it's ironic as some people will point to this as a defense against why, like, almost as like a way to um, lessen the blow of racism in our country they're like look if you look anywhere like people have always found a way to subjugate others and you're like that's not really a good reason to subjugate i don't know if you're looking for like an an award because we're not doing anything worse than other people throughout history but uh, it is interesting though that i that you make the point because it does that is concerning like that, that there is always a way to other people and and it seems like if you look Tribalism at you look at the world yeah you look at the world's track record it's like um what what does it look like to eliminate that in a society like when we're like right now we're dealing with 
a lot of issues related to race and ethnicity and it, but what is it <laughs> when you say what then what are we going to move on to after that that's really a, oh god it makes me feel sad <laughs> i guess that you said to think of it in those terms as because it does sometimes feel like oh let's just solve this issue and we be good <laughs> but it is like i mean can you even solve can you even solve this issue i mean to as a whole like what's that mean what's it sol- i don't know it's like there's like an open i don't know if there is or not but like is anybody I mean, is there is there any countries that are known for doing this well? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Who's who's doing a good job with this right now? Somebody has to be. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a that's a great question. I had the, the privilege of traveling around Europe for a couple of months, um, and you know, I I definitely felt like my the experience of being a black person I felt was honestly better in like most of the places really? I went to, as opposed to America. I think that the, you know, way or like the way that I kind of assess like the like inclusivity of a community is, you know, when does it get to the point where like I like kind of forget that I am like that one of my identities is a black person, Mm. which isn't like a goal of mine. Like I, I like being black. I like my history and my culture and I think it's important and I don't want it to be erased. I don't like the yeah. whole like colorblind philosophy, but when I'm not constantly on guard and like concerned about yeah. like what my, how this identity is going to like affect other people. And, you know, it's, there aren't a lot of places that I can say that I felt that. And, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll, yeah, I think that it's definitely a struggle that, you know, the world has, yet to kind of um resolve yeah that's a really that's a uh, that gives me a good bit to think about <laughs> i don't have much to say to that uh, <laughs> it's fine i like because you think like if i if i was and it's just, this would i don't know if this is a um a bad comparison so um make let me know if i'm making a really bad comparison here but when you said that it made me think if i'm when i'm the only white person in a room or the area it's something i notice and um i don't know if that's good bad and i don't really know how to um how i would I break it down. The same implications but but i I can't imagine what it would be like to not notice that. And that's because I live in a very white world. So for you to say that is very, it's interesting for me to, to think about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a kind of a great thing to kind of think about because that is a, an experience that a lot of people of color, a lot of black people, you know, live with. And I live in California. It is arguably like one of the most, if not the most like progressive, like states in the country, we are actually a minority, uh, a majority minority state, meaning that like there are more minorities in this state than anywhere, than any, than there are white people. Um, And a huge Latinx population, actually only 6% um, black. So it's, it's also interesting because you find more black people in, in uh, the states where like there's more discrimination, which kind of like, takes away from the idea that the more you have, the less that there will be. Um, hmm. And um, yeah, it's quite often where I'm like, dang, I'm like, I will get really, really excited when I'm not the only like black person in a restaurant or, yeah. or like, 
you know, I am like one of two black guys graduating from my law school um, this year. And yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really like interesting experience to kind of go through life that way. I definitely felt like, didn't feel that way a lot at Liberty at first, but Mm -hmm. you know, the more that you kind of interact with prejudice and bias and racism, it starts to really like stand out to you. And I think it stands out more than anything because like you're concerned for your safety and um, you don't want to be anywhere where like your safety can come into, um, you know, question and that is a i think a whole other like it's really easy to like find uh you know good things to talk about with you guys (laughs) yeah man Uh, this has been really awesome i there dude there was this i listen this i listened to this rapper open mike eagle and he there's this line that he had from a long uh man i think i probably heard it like seven years ago and i'm gonna say i feel like i want to share it only because i (laughs) it's been like something that has stuck with me ever since and i have a feeling that um after going to liberty and being people's like black friend that you probably understand like and have thought this is just something that you wouldn't even had to have thought about it's just naturally something you understand but um he says uh fuck you if you're a white man that assumes i speak for black folks fuck you if you're a white man who thinks i can't speak for black folks Mm -hmm. and I, i even in having this conversation, like I think about that line because I'm like just being forced into the representation for the black community, but also like if being able to have like, I don't know if your voice is maybe different on some things um, or maybe being feeling like people could use the things you say as like, uh, I don't know, their own personal mouthpiece for the, the end all be all like, and I think yeah. of where we're at with, um, uh, and I, I don't know, hope this might, if this just keeps us going a little bit longer, that's okay. Um, because I think this is an interesting conversation and I, I really want to hear what you have to say about it. And I, I think of where we're at with like the way news media works right now and the way like, like you have your, I think it's like your uh, Candace Owens or like you might have like a, you know, I might someone I've, I was watching Newsmax recently and like they might have like a, a black person with a, doing something on that. And like, you think of like, you know, there, there's this, the, um, what's the, what's the word? It's like elevate or I don't know, like elevate black voices, whatever. Um, it, and it seems like everybody kind of has the black voice that they want to promote. Uh, and it, they can find the black voice that supports their narrative. And it's like, I, I'm just really having a hard time thinking like about, how to engage with people in that because they, the, you might've been that black voice that somebody wanted. Oh, my, my black friend told me this way. So therefore this is the way it is. Or, and, and it's like, it seems like a continuation. Um, it may be even on the, the left um, and the right of like black voices being used as white props uh, yeah. versus like, so what's it's like even knowing that line of like when to to use black voices that have something to say and when to understand that you're just trying to I don't know use black yeah. people to say the things you want to say again and that cool. yeah I think well and that's like those are all really good like things to ponder and, <laughs> and consider and um, I think that I mean that's really like to make a very complex to give a very complex question a very simple answer. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, that you are 
um, giving a platform, um, you know, that is coming from a genuine place to a, a black person when it isn't like serve your own interests. I mean, mm-hmm. Candace Owens type figures really exist for bias confirmation. Uh, the second she has, and like, this is the interesting thing about Candace Owens. Candace Owens used to be very liberal. She was highly Democrat, highly like progressive, very liberal. She actually like brought a lawsuit, a discrimination lawsuit. I believe it was against uh, an academic institution with the NAACP because she felt like she was being discriminated against. And, you know, she eventually decided that she was going to like switch sides. And, you know, for some people it is, you know, um, it's just like really beneficial to do whatever it takes to get ahead. And I always joke about this, like all the time that like, dang, if I just like put on a MAGA hat, and say like you know <laughs> I support Trump really loud in a video and post it to Twitter. I'll probably get like fifty thousand like followers immediately because like so many people are looking for that biased confirmation. It's like you know it's really hard not to find you know it's really hard to find a black person who thinks and supports like racist and white supremacist ideals who doesn't have a huge following and isn't really liked by a lot of white yeah. people. Because, like, they really exist to confirm the biases of, like, other people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a really difficult place for any white person to be in to try to, like, have, like, and navigate the ideas and opinions and, um, like, experiences of black people. Because, you know, black people are not a monolith. Like, we are right. a very nuanced community. You will talk to one black person and they will tell you don't call me black. I am African-American. And you will talk to another black person who will tell you, I am not from Africa. I am black. Like, don't yeah, you yeah. dare. You will talk to black people who think very differently about different things. And it can be really difficult because you are left like trying to juggle, like, you know, how to really like represent or communicate or understand black people. And that is really, really hard. But I don't have a lot of sympathy or compassion or feel bad for white people struggling with that because, and this is what I try to explain, like, or how I try to explain like white privilege to a lot of my like friends is that, you know, as a black person, every single day, since as long as I can remember, I have to several times a day, think about how to assimilate into white culture whatever that is. Like I have to think yeah. about like how to make a white person comfortable, how to be likable to a white person, whether I'm applying for a job, whether I'm writing a paper that's going to be like graded by a white person. I'm constantly like evaluating how I can like code switch is what we call it in the black community and yeah, yeah. become more palatable or discernible to white people. Hmm. But the privilege of being white is that if you want to, you could go through your life without ever having to do that. Yeah. You know, without ever having to become palatable to an other, without ever having to like be approachable or think about how to be more discernible or likable to like an other. And it would never affect your ability to succeed. And like that is like really like the experience of privilege to be yeah. able to walk through life without really ever having to consider or assimilate or connect, um, you know, with something other than like what you've always known. Yeah, man. 
I feel like that's a good place to end it. I really appreciate, like, I don't know. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to drag this out forever. And I, I really appreciate you like talking to us um, about these kinds of things and just kind of reminiscing some college stuff with us. It's been really a pleasure to have you talking with us, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Great. great to meet you. Dude, awesome meeting you, Casey. It's great hearing from you again, Sam. Thanks for letting me ramble. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> no, yeah, we welcome the rambling. It takes some of the pressure off. <laughs> so I don't know if, um, Casey, do you want to, I don't know if you have anything before we sign off. I kind of just made the decision that we're jumping off here, but if you can clo- you want to close this out. Thanks for uh, listening, and we'll talk to you next time.